when you talk to people who kind of know that and they're they're smart folks, like they're just like, wow, man, that's incredible how you did that. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> My math is incredible. You know, like you wouldn't believe how smart I am. And really, it's like some software is incredible. Thank you, Hypermill. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, hey, Jason Zenger here. You should know more about AMT, the Association for Manufacturing Technology. They are the industry representative group that gives us IMTS and more, including bridging the gap between IT and manufacturing at their Silicon Valley AMT Tech Lab, expanding globally through their AMT tech centers in China, India, and Mexico, along with representation in Europe and Brazil. Custom research for strategic planning and member meetups that bring manufacturing leaders together. To join the AMT community, reach out to Chrissy Hahn at AMT at C-H-A-H-N at amtonline.org or discover more at amtonline.org. Hey, Matthew, what's up, man? Where's Casey? I don't know, Nick. I don't, he doesn't like to venture this far from home, I guess. Yeah, that, that is true. We were just talking about that. I guess I'll have to fill in today. I got fun of your dad jokes. Yeah, I think you can handle it. All right, cool. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. All right, Nick, since you're filling in from Casey, I got to hear this dad right. joke. So this is a Christmas-oriented one. All right, so get ready. So I've been doing Christmas shopping. I bought a sweater, but it was picking up all sorts of static, so I decided to return it. And? They gave me one, free of charge. <laughs> not <laughs> no, bad. Not good either. They're not good. None the, of these The are guests good. aren't even laughing. No. They, <laughs> they haven't heard it before. <laughs> they never are good. Speaking of the guests, I'm going to introduce my good friend, our guest today has been a trusted advisor to manufacturing leaders for years. He's a certified machine tool sales engineer, just like me. You know, that's a big fancy title for I sell people capital equipment. He's held positions at Morris Midwest, which was selling primarily Okuma machines. And then he went to my world of machine tool peripherals. He was helping customers with high pressure systems at CoolJet. His next step was a regional sales management position at Matsura some really nice machine tools. And most recently, he made the shift from machining to fabrication equipment, where he now serves as the national sales manager for Bystronic. Welcome to the show, RJ Reed. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. How was that? Was that a decent intro? Much better than your dad joke. <laughs> that was not good. It was actually worse than Casey. And that's hard to do. So It was at least on point with the holiday spirit. Yeah, I mean, I spent like a good 15 minutes trying to look that up online yesterday. And I think the delivery was off too. I'm just not good. When you're in your real dad element, which we can all relate to, when you're in your real dad element, they just come. It's like divine intervention. They just come and they're so much better. And then, of course, the dad's the only one who thinks that. My boys are the ones teaching me the dad jokes. 
They oh, come really? home from school with these goofy jokes. They like. The sun jokes. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. So, RJ, yeah, let's actually talk about that for a second. So, you've got some kids, right? I do. I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. Okay. Future machine tool salespeople. There you go. Yeah. Maybe future machine tool operators or owners. Owners. Yeah. Yeah. That would cool. be the way to go. And then, Matthew, your kids, I don't know if you've talked about it on Sparks before, but you've got some kids. Yeah. No, I don't think I have. I've got three boys, a nine, seven, and three. Yeah. Yeah. Hoping that one or more of them ends up in this business. And that would be the sixth generation? Yeah, they will be the sixth so generation. So Nick's is in generation five. My yeah. brother's got two daughters and his first son on the way. So That's awesome. we just keep increasing the odds that maybe somebody will step up in the sixth generation. Although sometimes we joke, I'm like, who in the hell would want to make a living this way? <laughs> I know. There's definitely an easier way to make a dollar. And then I've got my eight-year-old Ellie. I've got my five-year-old Will and my two-year-old James. And then March, I got another one on the way. So RJ, with our lives, travel is just you can't avoid it. You're going to be traveling. You have to have a good partner at home. Yeah, that's exactly. the key. True. And I'm very impressed with the sixth generation. I thought I was big time with three generations. So yeah, I'm impressive. in three too, but he's like doubling the generation. Yeah, no right it's cool. I got a chance to like see some of that story yesterday because Matthew visited me at Hennig and it was just like, man, that's so cool. Like the pictures I was telling him, like, they have a picture of, what was that, Generation 1? Yeah, Gen 1 and 2. Gen 1 and 2. And then two. we have a picture of 3, 4, 5, and 6 all together. Yeah, and I was like, even the child in Generation 1 and 2 looks like 10 times more badass than everybody in Generation <laughs> 5 and 6. You know what I mean? They're all just like gritty. They didn't smile. Like, it's all black and white. A little tougher back then. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. So I'm fascinated to compare and contrast the world of like fab equipment, lasers, press breaks, things that Bystronic does with my world, which I'm more on the like precision machining side, the machine tools that you see at IMTS versus the machine tools you see at Fabtech. Yeah, which so. is really why we started making Sparks to have a show series that really appeals more to the fabricating audience. Yeah, yeah. And so RJ is just like absolutely perfect for that because you've been in both sides. Speaking of generations, didn't you say your grandfather was selling machine tools? Yeah, or? so I go back to my grandfather sold Bergmaster turret drills, if wow. you're familiar with that wow. product. Henry Ford used to buy that type of equipment. Wow, that's and cool. And many of your listeners on the Making Chips side might know about the book that was written about that company called When the Machine Stopped. It's a book about the history of the Bergmaster company. I'm going to have to check that out. And it ties right into the journey of Yamazaki Mazak. No as way. Well. And that's kind of the progression to that and the Japanese revolution of machine tools. It's a fascinating book. Any of the listeners, it's called When the Machine Stopped. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. It. Like yeah. for everyone who's not subscribed, you can subscribe to our site. And then all we do is like email our show notes. And like if anyone references stuff, we'll like put a link perfect, to it. There, perfect. So. Yeah, I would highly recommend it. If you're live and die this industry like many of us are. It's yeah. a fascinating read. Yeah, absolutely. You brought a guest. So a guest with a guest. Today. I did. Yeah. I did. I wanted some backup because I'm an old chip guy like you guys are. and <laughs> yeah. I needed my fab expert. So I brought Mr. Brendan DiVincenzo with me. He is our head of solutions for the Americas, as well as the head of our product management group. And he's got his hands in all of the cookie jars around this place. So I feel like he's the right person to fill in the blanks when I fall a little short. Yeah. The resident expert, I think, or the resident genius you refer to him as. We do occasionally call him that. Yeah. So now you have to live up to that. So everything (laughs) you have to say, you might want to have like a British accent or something. No, I can't (laughs) fake that. That's not good for anybody. (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah. Welcome, Brendan. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. You have one due in March. I also have one due in March. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Congrats. In addition awesome. to my two and a half year old emotional hostage taker at home. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect yeah. word for we it. We were on speakerphone with Nick's wife on the drive in this morning, and she was talking about having their third boy on the way and the fourth 
because you have a girl, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, you have any advice for me? And I was like, you better start running zone defense because there's always going to be an open shooter. Yeah. <laughs> That's about all yeah. I can tell you. She's like, how do I get him to stop wrestling? And Matthew and I were both wrestlers and he coached wrestling. I was like, you don't. You need yeah. him to wrestle. Why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> you just send him outside. You have three bodyguards for my daughter. Okay. They need to learn something. <laughs> right. So anyway, you just called us chip guys, RJ. Chip guys. Chip yes, guys. We talked well, I'm about a spark this. guy. Yeah. Spark guy. Yeah. So that was a big change when I came to the fab side of the business. Fab people. People tend to call the machining people chip guys, which fits right into the name of your original podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The making chips, right? And like I tell people who aren't from this world, I run a podcast. It's called Making Chips. And like, what do you think they think of? Semiconductors. Oh, potato yeah. chips. Potato chips. Yeah. <laughs> I went to semiconductors. Smart I have guy got with the semiconductor, semiconductor thing because that was a hot yeah. topic for a while. Yeah. You know, you couldn't get those. Yeah, and that's, that was a very that's genius answer. In the news now. <laughs> that's what people think of when they hear chip guy, though. Yeah, that's what I thought when I first came. I'm like, well, they're thinking I make microchips. Yeah, but yeah. No, that's yeah. just the common phrasing for this game. We would typically probably say CNC guys. Yes, right. There's a CNC control yeah. inside of your fab equipment, so that really doesn't fit. I know, and we were just talking about that before we started recording. I mean, Brendan and I were like, yeah, so I was like, okay, machine tools and then fab equipment. And he's like, yeah, well, they're really all machine tools. And I'm like, yeah, they are. They are all machine tools. Yeah, so it's like, all, It's all the same control topology. There's drives, a motion controller, feedback, sometimes in much more creative ways than you would see on a typical three-axis vertical machining center. Right. Right. And it's like, okay, maybe they just go to a different trade show. That know? is exactly and the difference. That's exactly <laughs> how that works. <laughs> yes. So you got Fabtech versus IMTS. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That is exactly the difference. And my understanding, Brendan, correct me if I'm wrong, Fabtech was at one point part of IMTS. Yes. And then spun off. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. We'd have to go back long before you and I were both in the industry. But yeah, back when IMTS was a like a 14 day show, Fabtech was a part of that. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I did not know that. So let's talk about the definition of precision because vastly different today. Yeah. Yeah. Those are a little different. Brendan, in your world of your history with microlutions, what was precision in that world? Yeah. Well, first, what is microlutions? Like for those that so don't know. So is same as Bistronic. There's no S. Okay, and microlution. So okay. That was my first job in the machine tool industry. I came in kind of as an entry level mechanical engineer. And when I left, I was kind of the number two engineer in charge there doing a lot of their five axis laser stuff. But we would get into arguments over like two tenths. Everything was in microns, just really stuff you can't see with the human eye. Right? Yeah. That's what precision was measured in. And then I came over here. I sort of like a lot of people that I talked to in the industry kind of stumbled into the fabrication industry. And the first time I read a print, I'm going, where are the tolerance callouts? Like, what's critical here? And they're like, oh, no, if you within five thousands, like you're fine. And I'm just like, that's a country mile. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and microlution was what type of parts? Like, what, what was the kind of end product primarily? So we did a lot of processing for components in the medical industry. So I worked on some projects that the end part was something that would go into a human part. Oh, wow. Cool. The last thing I worked on was jet engine components that are flying around now. So really high process, high quality stuff. CPK is a term that gets used all the time. I've been at Bistronic for seven years now. I've heard the term CPK from a customer once in mm. relation to a fabrication process. Wow. wow. So for our fabricator listeners that don't know what CPK is. Just a demonstration of your ability to hold tolerances. You know, are you going to be able to be within, is that hole going to be exactly 125 thou plus or minus whatever it is? Over a span. Over a span. So it's essentially a runoff criteria. In machining, you see a lot more runoffs where they say, here's the widget we're going to make. Mr. Distributor or Mr. Machine Tool Builder, please show me that you can do it over a thousand parts and we'll measure every 10 of them, et cetera. It's much more rare 
and the fabrication side of the business to do a runoff or have runoff criteria. Oftentimes, if we do, it's on automated bending solutions. Okay. Yep. It's definitely not as big a part of our lives here as it was in the my Matsura or my Okuma. Oh, that makes sense. So CPK means the process capability index. So obviously the K and the I, I don't know. It's got to be like from some other language because I'm thinking it's Latin. That doesn't match up. Okay. I'm making that up. (laughs) (laughs) I would have believed you, dude. (laughs) All right, cool. Yeah. So that'd be a great transition. Why don't we jump into like, can you give us a little bit of the history of maybe just laser? Oh yeah. You should take that, Brennan. Okay. I will do my best. So Lasers started out as this really exotic technology. It really kind of came online in the 1980s. And they were going head-to-head with turret punch presses. Because if you were going to do 2D processing of sheet metal before lasers, your only option was a turret punch. And like when those started to be able to change tools, it was like, oh man, that is the cat's meow. Yeah, I remember walking the floor at Fabtech and you just hear, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. Right. Yeah, the exactly. Whole time. And everybody was like, oh, every time it goes ka-chunk, you make money. If you're not kachunk, you're not making money. Is that, <laughs> right, exactly. is that what you mean? Your next podcast. <laughs> the kachunk podcast. The kachunk podcast. I like uh, it. So lasers came online and that was like game changing because now I don't even need tooling, right? But they weren't as fast as the turret punt presses in terms of parts per hour. So it was very much a capability cell. And then they spent most of the 90s growing up in power and it drove kind of the speeds of the machine tool. So you talk about the machine tool and then also... Laser power. Those are two things that are very closely related in terms of the laser process. So Bistronic was really coming up in the market that way. We've been making flying optics lasers since 1986. The first lasers we did were 500 watts, right? That's not a lot of power by today's metric. And these were all CO2-based Yeah, give me the like highest wattage laser. That would be like a hobbyist machine today. Yeah, nowadays it's a hobbyist machine. You can buy them on AliExpress for like... And what's like your max power machine today? Oh, so today... With the fiber lasers, we go up to 30 kilowatts. Okay. 30,000 watts. Okay, gotcha. From 500 to 30,000. Correct. Wow, yeah. Yeah. So So it took almost 30 years to go from, a little over 20 years to go from 500 watts to 6,000 watts. And that's where CO2 lasers really topped out. And then fiber came on and went from 1,000 watts to 6,000 watts in, it feels like 20 months, right? The rate of change of laser power has been unbelievable. It's like dial up to like whatever they call it. Broadband. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 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 Or literally going to fiber internet. It's the same type of... I was just going to ask, like, is it the same? Yeah. Yeah. Give us like the one minute cliff notes of the difference between CO2 laser and fiber, because I don't even quite understand. There's a lot of complex parts and mirrors and tubes and a lot of things that are wear parts inside of a CO2 where the fiber is much more contained. Okay, gotcha. There's not a whole lot of things that wear in there. And if there is issues inside of there, it's very easy to swap parts out. A CO2 looks like a chemistry set when you take it apart. We have one down there. You guys didn't notice it when we gave you the tour earlier. But anyone in the field that's seen one knows that there's a lot to it. And the people that understand that technology are fewer and farther between in the marketplace today. So are you like bouncing light from mirror to mirror with a Literally CO2? bouncing exactly. light from mirror to mirror. You generate the light in a gas medium. Okay. So you have to cool that gas. You have to recirculate it. It's very energy inefficient. Whereas with a fiber laser, you're generating everything inside of a solid medium. There's literally no moving parts except for the cooling water that's taking some of the heat away. So you're in like a water slide of light, essentially, instead of just bouncing from place to place? or Except there's not even water. It's all glass. Okay. Wow. Cool. Very cool. Interesting. 
So CO2 was, you said, took like however many... Yeah, like over 20 years to go to kind of reach its power maximum. That was basically the mirror started breaking down. You couldn't support more power in that architecture. Without it destroying itself. Without it destroying something in the process chain because it's a very complex piece of equipment. Sure, sure. And then, okay, 20 years goes by and they're like, we've plateaued and then fiber hits. And then fiber hits. And everybody's really, really skeptical. And then, you know, it's just kind of like the adoption curve of products, right? You Mm -hmm. have your innovators, the people who look at that and they go, ooh, yeah, I can make money with this. Mm -hmm. And at first, that was like the guys cutting thin sheet metal because with fiber, the wavelength is one-tenth of the CO2 wavelength. We're talking about one micron versus 10 microns. I can get the spot size smaller. I can get the spot hotter. I can move faster. Okay, I move faster. I make more parts. I make more money. And that was what drove the early adoption of that was the guys cutting thin sheet metal. And that's what I think about when I think of laser cutting, which I know today you know, right. can do so much more. But you think thin? I think thin, cutting lots of thin parts really fast. Yeah. Okay, okay. Still part of the equation. Sure. But now yeah. thickness has become a bigger slice of that pie as yeah. well. Yeah, so we talked about how fiber went from 1,000 watts to 6,000 watts really quickly. Well, Okay, here's a rule of thumb. The number of kilowatts you have is the number of millimeters that you can cut with nitrogen. We'll talk about nitrogen versus oxygen later, but cutting with nitrogen means I'm doing it pretty fast. Okay. I'm using the laser power at its fullest. I'm really cooking. So as that went up, you got a much bigger slice of the flat metal cutting market that can benefit from these speeds. Mm. So 6,000 watts of fiber, I'm cutting six millimeter quarter inch with nitrogen really okay. fast. Wow. And that was hands down a solution to a problem that existed in the laser world because everybody was like, okay, I'm limited by this laser process. I've got one of these laser tables and it drives what I can produce in a day. I got to keep that beam on. I got to be constantly monitoring that thing. So it's producing all of the parts that I touch in all of my downstream operations. Well, and the component of nitrogen versus oxygen, which we can unpack a bit more, but when you talk about precision and quality in this game, it's typically edge quality that we're talking about, the cut right. part. Yeah. When you and I were walking through Hennig and you were like, we were talking about like what people see when they walk through a machine shop and then just Take I, us back to I that. I basically yeah. said everybody touches the edges of fabrication, laser yeah. cut parts. They want to see if there's a dross, uh-huh. a drip, essentially, on the bottom of it, and they want to feel the side of that edge. But the nitrogen versus oxygen conversation has to do with the oxidation on that edge. If you cut with oxygen, you have to remove that oxidation if you want to paint those parts. By cutting with nitrogen, you eliminate that. There's no oxidated edge. We you can hear the term it. like clean cutting, and that's basically the same thing. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So you're eliminating sometimes manual operations before painting. My assumption would be that there's more benefits to the nitrogen versus oxygen than just like being able to paint it, right? Oh, speed is speed. 100% the driving factor of that. Okay. In a lot of ways, speed still drives a lot of the economics around laser cutting. Nowadays... I spend a lot of my time telling people that, yeah, the inches per minute don't matter because now we're in the 10, 12, 15 kilowatt regime where if you're cutting eighth inch material with that laser, it doesn't matter how fast you're cutting that because whatever the published feed rate is, at half of that, it will bury your shop in parts. Yeah. And when we talk inches per minute, they don't use the phrase feed rate here as much as they do in the machining side. And we're not talking about depth of cut anymore. We're talking about thickness of material. And you're not talking about keeping your spindle turning. You're talking about keeping your what? Like beam your, on your time. Beam, beam on. on. You keep beam the beam on time. Beam me up, Scotty. Yeah. Your OEE is on beam on time, not on spindle time. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Metalworking Nation. Jason Zenger here. Do you know I operate on NetSuite? 
the ERP when you need one source of truth for all of your data, your CRM, your accounting, your operations, everything. If this is you, you should know these three numbers, 36,000, 25, and 1. 36,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage your risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need all in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash chips. That's netsuite.com slash chips to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash chips. Do it now. All right, I'm starting to like get the translation. Get the We're going to get you in, yeah. into being a fab guy here soon enough. Oh, <laughs> and so we were going to talk a little bit more about the nitrogen and what we saw today in your showroom is people are actually generating their own nitrogen. But before we get to that, I want to ask one more like I'm going to be the guy that asked the dumb questions today. So he's super good at that. It's like <laughs> that's what why I'm here. For. Yeah, I asked the dumb questions. <laughs> there are no dumb but a lot questions. of the audience is like, I'm glad someone asked the yeah, dumb question. I'm so, also qualified for that. <laughs> so we're just going to take a step back. So just talk a little bit about the pros and cons. We're just talking cutting flat sheet here. So yep. plasma, laser, water jet cutting. Those are the main. You know, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Cutting that I see. That was a really good I dumb go question. Shop, shops. So <laughs> let's just hit like the highlights of the pros and cons of each of those because they each do serve yeah absolutely and i'll let brendan answer some of that but i'm glad you asked it because we do sometimes assume that everyone understands those differences when we go into a shop i've seen mm -hmm. it on sales calls people will go in and they'll start talking and i can tell the person they're talking to doesn't quite know those differences so I right. think it's a really valid question. well even when you're talking to me before we let brandon answer like Hennig's all this type of equipment. We have a lot of your equipment, yeah, yeah. right? But like all of that is just making products, peripheral products that go to machine tools. And that's where I spent my like time, energy and learning. I don't do a lot in the fab world. I don't do as much. And so now it's like, like you said, you're turning me into a fab guy. I love it. It's always know. fun to learn something new. But we have a water jet. We have all of this equipment. And I kind of know like what we use it for. But I want to hear from Brandon. Like explain the why between, what was it? Water jet, plasma, laser. Yeah. All right. So I'll start with water jet. Pros of water jet. The first 2D profile machine I actually learned how to run was a water jet we had in college. It ran Windows 95 and there was <laughs> a cache of floppy disks that you put into that thing. Nice. The pro of the water jet is... You can cut whatever you want, as thick as you want it. The con is it is generally very slow, and those things are expensive to run. Getting rid of cost to acquire the equipment, just the cost to operate the equipment. Yes, just that would be the highest of the three, right? To turn right? it on and run that machine, yeah. I mean, you're looking at probably 70 to 80 bucks an hour in just consumables and garnet and nozzles. They just wear themselves yeah. out. So They're that would be the highest of the three, the highest cost to operate. That'd but be the, the lowest cost of entry. Oh, so the equipment itself might be the lowest? Uh, I think uh, plasma is going to be your lowest. Plasma is definitely going to wind up okay. as the lower really? end of okay. that. And that's definitely a pro of plasma cutting. You see a lot of the hobbyists and the DIY guys 
that's how they start out is like these little four by four foot plasma cam tables are small. They're pretty simple CNC platforms that just they've got a plasma machine. They don't move that fast, but they make the part that you wanted to make. Mm -hmm. It's not as precise. The edge quality is not as great. If you scale up in plasma and start going into like kind of the enterprise level, the big boys. Yeah, we're looking at four and five hundred thousand dollar. Yeah. Plasma machines for our business. So Right. The nice thing about plasmas are you don't have to enclose them. You can generally cut thicker than laser is capable of, but it's generally a less precise process. You get a lot more taper on your parts. What do they call that? You know, like they're, a they're, curve? They're dirtier, curve yeah, the yeah. curve is bigger. They're generally kind of dirtier machines. If you see a plasma table like that, end of the shop is usually like a nice dark brown color, even if the walls are white. Mm. Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. And then did you guys already touch on like cost per hour? I know it's all relative, but I would put it maybe a little bit similar to laser. You don't have assist gas costs, but the energy consumption is still pretty high on those. Okay, gotcha. You're talking about like a 400 amp high def plasma source. I mean, those amps come from somewhere. So you think the cost per hour to operate a laser is similar to a higher end plasma? machine i know we're making generalities yeah, prob- and yeah. all this, but compared to a water jet they're in the same ballpark i'll put it that way yeah mm-hmm. okay gotcha and then laser super fast much more precise yep fast precise clean very stable process especially with fiber cutting it cuts the same everywhere it cuts all different types of materials the only con about laser processing now with the fiber wavelength is you can't do what you could do on the old CO2s. You don't cut wood and plastic and other stuff. And that's typically not what people buy lasers for anyways now in this industry. Versus with water jet, we can cut plastic. Yeah, literally anything. Fiberglass, yeah, glass. Yeah, and water jet has basically been totally consumed by laser on people that only cut metal. Unless yeah. you're an aerospace shop and you're cutting, you're trying to near net a blank of titanium or something like that, you're going to have a water jet to do something because yeah, like a lot that. of guys will even mm. tap into a water jet hole given the right and there's thickness. no heat affected zone that's yeah. another really yeah, good no- point on that there's no heat affected zone with water jet which means they're still used a lot for aerospace applications anything composite is so you're is not like a water jet accidentally heat treating or whatever that wherever you cut correct okay gotcha correct. yeah that's a big advantage cool Cool. Yeah, I'm glad you yeah, did. Cool. That, that was yeah, a good, no, that good was a overview. Great, I think great, great dumb question. I don't think yeah. it was dumb at all. I mean, I thought that was. You a good learned one. something. It's well, not I mean, a dumb yeah. question. <laughs> so we were going to dive into the nitrogen. So we got a little tour before, and we walked by this big machine, and you're like, "That makes nitrogen, right? That's awesome." Because nitrogen's what really expensive. <laughs> Sounds like yeah. It. Nitrogen tends to be kind of the second biggest consumable cost of modern laser cutting, past just owning the machine. But it's kind of like I have a little hole in the wall and I feed money into it and more money comes out. I'm just going to keep doing that. Okay. And the reason you would do it is besides the part benefits, you see a lot of speed increase there. Just if I'm cutting quarter inch mild steel with oxygen on a six kilowatt laser, it's probably something like 100 inches per minute, 110 inches per minute. If I do that with nitrogen, it's 250. So right there, two and a half times my productivity for an additional, let's call it 10 to 15 bucks an hour if I'm buying the gas from an outside vendor to use that. So yeah, if I get two and a half times more parts, I don't care about 10 to $15 an hour. It's yeah, there's just, an ROI on that. Yeah, it's the cost of doing but that much more business. Buying nitrogen from like gas supplier. Yeah, so I showed him the generator downstairs. Right. That's what he's asking about. I'll get to that. So yeah. 
you're never buying nitrogen. You're only renting it from the atmosphere. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's God's nitrogen. <laughs> it's 78% nitrogen. But to avoid that oxide edge and get that clean edge and those fast feed rates, it's got to be pretty pure nitrogen. Where people talk nitrogen, they like to talk in nines. So how many nines is your nitrogen? So 99% is two nines. And I figure it out from there. So it's three nines, like 99.9%? Correct. Okay, gotcha. Exactly. Gotcha. And it becomes much more important when you're cutting, for example, stainless steel. That requires like the food guys and the medical guys are like, no, it's got to be shiny, bright edge, cannot have any oxidation or discoloration or they just reject the part. Doesn't it also have an impact at higher powers to have more purity? It can. Yeah. It does depend on what you're cutting. I guess if you're cutting mild steel, and we can get to that later, sometimes it likes a little bit of oxygen. And that application is worthwhile to have less than... 99% 99% Okay, so like, let's say you're at 95 and 5. Then. Right. Is that like a normal That's ratio? what we would call mixed gas. That's a very new trend in laser cutting that's showing a lot of promise in mild steel applications and aluminum cutting. It's not so much oxygen that you're dealing with the problems from oxygen? Correct. Yeah, you wind up with a weldable, paintable surface Okay. there. Cooking you get a gas. little bit of an odd color to it, but as long as the aesthetics are no problem. Okay, cool. But like the construction equipment and ag equipment guys of the world are all about this technology because it's letting them go faster, higher quality parts, and also increasing the thickness that they can cut with nitrogen too, or like a nitrogen part. Okay. So what constrains the speed? Is it related to the cutting head and like the laser and the gas mix and all that? It's definitely not like how fast the machine moves, right? In some cases, it is how fast the machine moves. Really? Right. So like the XY? Yeah. And even if a machine was capable of cutting, like the laser would say, yeah, theoretically, you're capable of cutting this thing at 5,000 inches per minute. Most machine tools are not going to move that fast all the time. Right. Right. You run into issues with precision and just being able to do that. That's the part that amazes me the most. When I watch these new lasers run, just watching the motion control, zipping around, how fast they move. And like the fact that you can hold the tolerances and the parts don't just destroy themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely mind blowing to watch them. That was part of our product ethos 20 years ago. We had a product called the buy speed and that was the fastest CO2 laser. And we've got some guys that have been selling for us for 20 years. And they said, when that product came out, that was insta death to turret punch presses everywhere because it was all about how fast can the machine tool get that laser all the way around. Now the laser does most of the work and the machine tool is just kind of along for the ride. And I imagine like a lot of the components have to change based on those incredible accelerations. And so like you might need different guides, you might need different... Oh, our core machine design had to change. When we came out with the first fiber laser, it was it was a ground up design to be a fiber laser. And that was the first machine tool that had ever done that. So it said, okay, I don't need to support all these mirrors and bellows. And I can really change the structure of the machine Mm -hmm. to take advantage of the fact that I don't need any of this stuff anymore. And I just have a yellow cable that runs through the machine that delivers my beam. And it's perfect all the time. And that's like a catalyst for our own innovation at Hennig. So like the covers, the protection protects the machine from the environment it creates has to accommodate the machine itself and like the machine's function. So we've gone from like certain bellows to like these aluminum aprons with different kinds of guides that can accelerate and decelerate yep. like the machine tool. So well, you're familiar with the linear technologies that a lot of the milling centers are using today. Yeah. It's pretty similar drive systems here. And they're flying. Like it's just Absolutely. awesome. Yeah, really, really cool. Really, really cool. So is the nitrogen gas mixing like the hottest trend right now in terms of like, okay, let's go back and add a little oxygen to it and maybe go faster? Or is there something kind of more on the bleeding edge in terms of 
how your world is in terms of absolute maximum speed yeah mixing gas is the way to go okay what else what are the other kind of technological trends that are i would say changing it's software I think software is driving a lot of the next wave of innovation yeah. for this. It does seem that's line. often a limiting factor now. Mm-hmm. The actual machine tools themselves, just as I'm out shopping for machines for our shop, we're asking for this and that. And that's what we hear a lot. Well, our software isn't quite there yet. You know, we don't hear, well, the machine won't do that. We hear the software won't do that yet. Yeah. It seems like point. that's often the limiting factor. Well, as more and more companies go to just in time and things like this, they're doing smaller batches. So when you're doing smaller batches, you need to program quickly and you need to plan better. Okay. But even the geometry, the software, sure. a lot of times just certain cut geometry, the software seems to be, but I think that has advanced very rapidly just in the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, we here have gone out and purchased some software power. We bought a company that came with a bunch of software engineers. They've now moved to modules. So again, I'll reference back to what we call the chip world or CNC machining. Yeah, yeah. You have your third parties that do a lot of the programming. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of those in the laser cutting and bending world, but all of the OEMs have pretty robust. So you're talking like the CAD CAM companies right now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to throw any names out. Yeah, yeah. CAD CAM is something that you would purchase from us typically. You can do a third party in this space for laser cutting, but we offer a very robust system and it ties into material management software from us. Mm -hmm. It ties into planning and scheduling. We call machine metrics, right? We call that insight to the machine, OEE data and this kind of stuff you can purchase directly from us. Those are modules in our software. A lot of that is third party in the CNC world or it's very... It only works for brand X if you buy it from brand X, right? Yeah, yeah. It works on this type of equipment only. Sure. Exactly. We see a lot more of the OEMs themselves bringing that stuff to market here than you typically see on the quote unquote chip side of the business. You know, when we talk about automation, one of my partners in our automation space says like, hey, whatever you automate, you just push bottlenecks like before downstream and upstream from whatever you just automated. And, you know, it doesn't really matter if you have like one great step in the process, if it still like has to hang on the Herbie, if anyone's read that book, the goal, but (laughs) you might know what I'm talking about. Like there's always the slowest kid on the team. Yeah. And like until the last kid crosses the finish line, like you can't win. Right. So that's the Herbie for those who haven't read the book, the goal, you know, we'll put that in the show notes too. But yeah, I think that's the other big innovation here is now all of that history Brendan just gave you, it created a bunch of new bottlenecks because now we make parts a heck of a lot faster than before where a crane used to do the loading and unloading of the machine tool and a shuttle table or for our chip friends, a pallet changer, Mm -hmm. which is called a shuttle table in the fab game, (laughs) was doing the loading and unloading of the laser. But now that's not good enough because the beam is waiting. So now we've had huge advancements in the material loading and unloading. And now the next big trend is the separation of the cut parts from the sheet, Mm -hmm. which in fabrication technology is referred to as sorting. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's the next big step. But it all ties back to software. If I'm going to sort a nest with 50 different part types in it, I'm going to need to program that as quickly as possible so that my beam stays on. So having the software technology, the actual hardware of the sorting is no groundbreaking advancements, but to be able to program it quickly enough to meet your needs, that's a big advancement. So the leader like Nick's, right? He's got some of this equipment and he's trying to figure out, okay, everybody's biggest problem. I don't know if it's the same in your world, but everybody's 
biggest problem. I need skilled labor. I need people who can do this stuff. And when we talk about the digital side and the software, it's always like, yeah, you know, it's not as hard as it once was. There's like no code and low code solutions to kind of like getting the software where it needs to be. Would you say that you have to be some computer science degree, like software engineer to be able to operate this? Or is it more user-friendly than it once was? I think for this building that you people are sitting in today, that's a big part of what we offer. That's a big part of our value proposition to customers is we believe we have one of the easiest to use softwares out there. Our competition probably has the same opinions about their software. Sure, sure. But that's the big key to making all this work is having an intuitive software. And a lot of the programming is more automatic than you would be used to on a CNC machine. It's definitely a higher skill level to program a five-axis Matsura than it is to program a laser cutter. Gotcha. Yeah, the lasers are really straightforward. I mean, it's 2D profile cutting. We've got a button in our software we call the rocket ship, and you just hit that. What we also have in our software is, and we haven't even gotten to that yet, once you start adding the press break in and start turning that into 3D, now it starts to get really interesting. And that's where we've been leading the charge on kind of making processes simple, making it so that, okay, I want to form this 3D part out of a flat sheet. Okay, the rules are a lot different than if I was just going to machine that. I don't remove material. I have to literally form that into existence. And knowing all the math and the background, nobody needs to know that anymore. We program the part. In a lot of cases, the software will actually adjust the blank size that you want to cut on the laser so that it makes the right 3D shape. The 2D yeah, that's, is this, not even we have a, to do a whole episode on you're this. You're working yeah. backwards. Yeah, you, you want to work backwards. Start with right? the 3D and then work backwards to what we need to cut. Yeah, because there's not that's a lot cool. of shops that just do laser cutting anymore. At a minimum, you have to have cutting and bending to be a viable vendor to anybody right now. That's such a cool difference because like everything's 3D for the most part in the machining side, but like right. you're going from like 2D, now it's 3D. And then all the material handling, all the scheduling, all the grab this, don't grab that, get rid of this stuff from the sheet because it's all trash, but keep all this. And right. man, it's just so interesting. And we get people that will say like, oh, well, I have all these DXF files. And I say, okay, cool. You have DXF files. That is the absolute minimum amount of information that could possibly exist to make that part. Here's how we can make that better. That's really cool. And much of it's automated. It's coded into the software. So you don't have to f- actually do that math. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good for me. Yeah. <laughs> in the chip world, I mean, that's been 3D for how many years or decades now? Yeah. Yeah. There's still people moving to that now here in 2024. Yeah. That well, haven't speaking, been operating yeah. in 3D file environments, which is crazy. I was just going to ask Matthew, like, so you're a cool example of like having some machine tools, having some metal forming machine tools as well, right? And, but this isn't typically what you've done, right? This laser type stuff isn't typically what you've done at Nix. We're evolving into this world. I was just going to point out, I think I have probably have a deeper appreciation for what you just said than most people, because I can still remember. And if you gave me enough time, I could probably still figure out how to do the math. But I remember grandpa and dad we would make a lot of cone transitions out of sheet metal, square and round transitions. And we would literally lay a sheet out on the handheld plasma table and do all the math calculations for how to cut. Well, it's just like he was talking about knowing the variances when you form that, how you have to cut different to allow for that. And we would cut it by hand, then feed it through a manual break to form these things. And it's just remembering actually doing the manual math and the manual cutting and forming and Seeing this, it's just, it's awesome. And so yeah, yeah, I don't think cool. there's very many people left in the game that can appreciate seeing it 
from the manual form. My grandpa, this would just blow his mind. Yeah, that's awesome. If he well, saw this. That actually leads me to a question. I'll ask you. Oh, turning the table. Yeah, I want to ask the hosts here. Do you still run into people who are G-code programming very often on like a three-axis mill? Yes. I mean, they're there. Yeah. yeah. But nowadays, like I just had a conversation. I was with Titan and his team. Yeah. And I was talking to the Tornos guy, Donnie, okay. who does the Tornos stuff. And they all like take shots at each other, right? Like, And he's like, oh, you know, these guys talking about the five-axis milling, like that's the easiest machine to run here. Because he's like, you just send the program to the machine and tell the machine run this pallet and... That's it, you know. Yeah, you don't have like, to worry about whether it's all G54 done in the or G55. Yeah, it's all done you can't in the make background. That yeah, and I'm sure the other guy would be like, "Yeah, but what about this and what about that?" But it was just kind of funny how like it's not all like hand coded and hand programmed anymore. You know, it's no. Uh, and well, think about how with, long it would take to do a five axis program. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you talk to people who kind of know that. And they're they're smart folks. Like they're just like, wow, man, that's incredible how you did that. Like, yeah. I know. <laughs> My math is incredible, you know? Like, you wouldn't believe how smart I am. And really, it's like some software is incredible. Thank you, Hypermill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, but yeah, it's funny. Our machines run on G code, but I mean, if you generate the code in our software, it's more like C. It's a lot more object oriented and it lets us do a lot mm-hmm. more stuff on the controller. So we get people who are like, well, send me your G&M code list. And I'm like, that doesn't exist. That's not a thing. That's not how you're supposed to use the machine. He's doing genius talk over here. He's talking about like C, C++, Python, all this. I think uh, it's good we have like, he's on the real technical end of the spectrum. Then I ask the dumb questions. But we're kind of like bookending this episode here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good point. because That's I, why I brought my guest. I think we could do like five hours of this and really, really dive deep. I do want to do another show where we talk like from 2D to 3D and really, really talk about that entire process and how like fab shops are changing the the way they think. And we haven't talked about two blazers. Yeah. And we should do it. Yeah. There's more to come, I think. But I just want to say thanks to you guys. I know like I got the pleasure of guest hosting on Making Sparks today. It was cool. We got some great guests. And yeah, I've no, known you, RJ, for a while from Matt yeah, I really so. appreciate you guys having us. Yeah, I, mean, I think this is spot on for what we wanted Making Sparks to be about. You know, there's some great takeaways here. And I'm a fabrication shop owner myself. And so I think this is very relatable for a lot of our audience. And we're just running plasma right now. I shared that with you guys, you know, laser or something. We outsource a lot of our laser and looking to add our own laser cutting. And I know I've learned a lot here, you know, with the gas mixing. I wasn't aware of that. You can produce your own gas now, which of course would be like step two or three. I'm for super us. good at that. I produce my own gas all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Just ask my family. <laughs> nice one. Dad. I got to ride in the car with you later. Yeah. <laughs> no, but speaking of like, if you thought this was valuable, we ask for the three R's, you know, if you could rate this Spotify, Apple, whatever you listen to podcasts on, we're on there. If you could rate this, give us a review. Even if you think my jokes are bad, you can tell me that in a review. I just need five stars, though. And then uh, refer it. You know, send this to somebody. If you know somebody who's like where Matthew's at and like, hey, you know, maybe they're thinking about new equipment or a new mindset towards the future, then send this their way. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, We're excited to be part of this process. You guys are dipping your toes into a vast and often separate for no real reason part of the industry. Absolutely. I think you hit it. Why is it so separate? Yeah. Every guy is like, oh yeah, we get all our sheet metal stuff from this other guy. We'll send him this podcast. It's probably separate because like McCormick Place might not be able to hold Fabtech and IMTS at the same time. That's basically (laughs) Because IMTS just packs it, you know? (laughs) But so does Fabtech nowadays too. Yeah. I mean, lasers and press brakes are just, they're a very visible part of the fabrication world. But I mean, there's so many accessory processes and niche machines 
in this side of the industry as there are in the chip world. Yeah. Yeah. We have so much fun. Just like never stop learning. You know, there's always something to learn. So. And we'll plug Fabtech. Hopefully we'll see some of your listeners in Orlando this year. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, see us. it's an excuse to go to Florida. Yeah. There you go. Not a bad place. When to is that? Fabtech. Do you know the exact dates for that? It's in October. Let me pull out the internet in my pocket. Yep. We'll be there. Look forward to seeing Good. you guys there. Come to our booth. Maybe we'll be negotiating on our first laser. Yeah, I'm going to send you out of here with a quote today. See, we're like, hey, it's, you know, we're just going to educate in the, 20, the audience. Four CapEx plan. All right, we'll get it in for That'll 25. That'll be in October. This so is what we happens with negotiating okay. for the 2025. We're about 25. All right. I'm like, October. hey, you know, we're just going to educate the audience. It's not going to be a sales pitch thing. And then here you're like, you're selling on the podcast. He's going to like buy. He never misses sheet. an opportunity. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's my job. <laughs> October 15th through 17th in Orlando, Florida. Awesome. Cool. Cool. So, hey, do you guys know how to sign us out? I know, RJ, when we say you're not making chips, you know how to finish that. But there's a nuance to this one. So, Brendan, if you're not making sparks, you're not making money. Bam. Bam.